0: My mic on as well, no it's not. Great to see you, uh, it really is great to be here. Thank you so much to Paul for asking me to come uh, as you make your way through this, uh, this series. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, or you can find one somewhere in your pew, please, uh, please turn to that section that was just read to us earlier from Paul's um, letter to the church in Ephesus. We're in chapter 2, uh, and this section that really runs from um, 11 down to verse Uh, Right down to the end, really, but we're going to stop at verse 18. Uh, And it's uh, a section that I'm calling uh, Time to Remember. Alright? It's time tonight to remember. Uh, Which instantly poses um, a, a bit of a challenge for someone like me, as my wife would only be too happy to tell you, because... Remembering anything, um, especially since my two children came, uh, that that is one of those challenges that I seem to lose fairly frequently in the course of an average week. Um, Telephone numbers and names, uh, family birthdays, uh, the three measly items that I was sent to purchase at ASDA. Uh, Often there is just so much in our minds uh, and so much that vies for our minds. This is my standard line to Sarah, by the way, that, that um, other things, that things that to us don't seem to be as urgent uh, are just not recalled. Isn't that right? Uh, and so if there is a major project on at work for you, well, then that is where your mind is going to reside. Uh, if there is a problem being faced in your home, That is where your mind will reside. If you're coveting, if you're worrying, if you have got wall-to-wall pressure, if you have a goal that you feel you need to reach, then that is where your mind is going to reside. And all other things, quite frankly, they can wait till this storm is over. It's interesting, by the way, that when you read the Gospels, that Jesus himself, uh, who knows everything from prior to the world began, uh, it's interesting. He knows we have bad memories. Uh, And he seeks to teach in a way that will help us then, um, in terms of his own words. Um, Luke 17, a classic um, case in point, Jesus says, Remember Lot's wife. You see? You're going to forget about her boys. But you need to remember her. And the lesson that she gave is that anyone who seeks to keep their life is going to lose it. He does the same thing in John 15, 20. Remember my words to you that no servant is greater than his master. If they got a hold of me and put me down as your king and your lord and your judge then they will do the same with you. And remember this. Some of you will forget this. But log it now in your minds. We see the same thing in the Lord's table and these symbols given by Jesus and the bread on the one hand and the wine on the other that we might do this. Um, Presumably, because some of us like myself, we are so absent-minded Uh, Others of us, we are so wired up to the urgent and what we can see in front of us with our own eyes that even the cross gets supplanted in our minds by the world. And so what Jesus is saying, I think, and Paul is about to do the same thing, what he's saying is that there is a role for our minds. Uh, There is a battle on for our minds. Biblical things, and huge, big, gospel things, they are often squeezed into the Sunday corner at best or the Sunday box, and they're often even replaced by that which seems to be more um, exhilarating, exciting, more urgent for us to give ourselves fully to in our minds. If you're a parent, for instance, then you will have long days looking after a young family with your mind set On toys, on meals, on clothes, CBeebies, or long days dreaming of life as we would want it to be, or the house as we would want it to be. Maybe for you it's your studies, your lack of money, the threat of losing your job, which is hanging over many in our day. This is our context. This is the mental battle. And so, uh, as hard as this is, I want to somehow remind you of some things that Paul, it seems, wants us to remember. Okay? That's where we're going. This is my aim. It's my goal. Uh, You will know if you've been on this course from the start that the Bible teaches there is one God who is in three persons. uh, Father... Son and Spirit. That's the first rung in the Two Ways to Live series. There is no one on his level. There is no one who stands as his rival. There is no one in his league. Above all powers we sing. Isn't that right? Above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were here before the world began. This is our God. And with infinite power, we're told, it was this God who made the world. Isn't this what Paul and Rodney both have been sharing with you in the last couple of weeks? He made everything that you see. He made silverback gorillas. He made hyenas. He made rainforests. He made the galaxies. He made the planets in the galaxies. You take the sun, for instance, which we would love to feel more of in this place. Earth, we're told, is 8,000 miles wide. Jupiter is 89,000 miles wide. The sun, it's nearly a million miles wide. It's huge. It's ferocious. God made it, along with the moon and all the stars on day number four. By that stage, he'd made light and darkness, land and sea, trees and plants. And then day five, he'd made things like like trout and sea bass and whales and dolphins and all those hand-painted little beauties you see when you put a tank on your back and you go diving on your holidays. And then to give life to them. Can you imagine that? You go to Calvin Grove Museum through in the Wild West, you'll see statues of these things. He gave life to them. He made them fly. He he made them move. He made them swim. And then as the very apex of all he had done, he made a man. And he called him Adam, and soon he made a woman, called her Eve. Both were made for his honor. Both were to live as willing subjects and joyful subjects under his rule. And when all was done and the whole shoot and match was finished, we told that God stood back in that moment, almost like an artist, I think, after the last stroke of his brush, and as he surveyed the sum total of all he had done, he said, this is good. Well, it's not good today, as I think we would all need to concede. Um, An absence of love in many homes. A growing lack of respect. An abundance of greed that places me at the center of my own world. The need for lawyers, because men these days, they are rarely true to their word. uh, The need for policing. Uh, the need for armies, the need for border controls, the need for child protection, social workers, as I used to be. And and though we counsel, you see, and and spend more money on our schools to better educate our children, and we pump more and more resources into policing and into housing, into military structures, into medical care and prison programs, social care, there is this, this slide It's on every day, and it is taking us in the polar opposite of the first day. Isn't that right? And so when we leave here tonight, we'll lock all the doors to keep out the thieves when we're gone. And when you get to your cars, you'll have to unlock them before you get into them in case the thieves took them while you were here. And over our world this evening, somewhere in the region of Something like 1,400 other human beings, they're going to lose their lives because someone else is going to take them through violence. And so something clearly has changed in our world. And I say these things not so much to give you nightmares in a Crime Watch kind of way as you crawl under your duvet later tonight, uh, but simply to encourage you to ask, in a very literal sense, what on earth is the problem? And more to the point, why such inability on our part to stem the impact of this problem on our world? That's the issue, you see. Uh, We have guys like leaders who are willing. We have Bono, who's already been mentioned by Paul, and other such rock stars who are willing. We have professionals, and they are willing. We have whole nations, and they pay their taxes. And they are ready and willing to resource real change. So, what's the problem? Well, you see, here's the problem as the Bible sees it and as Paul states it. This is going to upset some of you. I would imagine it may unnerve you even and cause you to find this chapter quite repellent in your ears. Here's the problem. You're the problem. This is the truth of God's Word. Graham Shearer is the problem. And now, says Paul, it's time to remember this in your life. Now, although this is for all of us and is in fact written to those in a church, as you might know... Let me set this up for anyone who has come and is not a Christian at this point, okay? Uh, I want to speak really to you tonight and mention to you two things that I'd love you to remember and reflect on uh, when this service is over and your mind is once again set on all that's looming large in your life. Just two things. You'll find them both in these verses. Here they come. Number one, remember who it is. That you really are. All right? Take time out of your schedule. No matter how busy you are, no matter what demands are on your time, you want to take the time, you need to make the time to reflect on the path that you're on right now and what it is that defines you in life right now. This is Paul's message. We live in a world where this issue is often confused. It's often glossed over. The things that define me, we will say, they are all about where I come from, what I do, how I spend my time, how I dress, what role I have in the home. When Paul asked me this, that's exactly what I said earlier uh, you take your cue from the ads then it's, it's Starbucks or Costa it's a Mac or a PC you walk down Gorgie Road it's the colour of your scarf that counts For Paul, you see in this text, the sole issue that defines all nations and and all peoples and even all of us in this room is not whether you are a man or a woman or a doctor or a teacher, but rather, he says, your nature, which is a sinful nature with which you came born at birth. Isn't this what Paul means if we drop back for a second to verse 3? Do you see that reference? previous chapter, I should say, sorry, same chapter, chapter 2, verse 3, that all of us, he says, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Do you see? Sin is it's just in your nature. It's part of your flesh. It is who you are and not just what you do. It is integral to you. It is shaping you. It defines you. And so if you so desired, you see, you could buy yourself your own island way up in the Shetlands and build your own house with no doors and no windows and no televisions or phones or iPods, not even Facebook, and you could sit in your house, cut off from all that might sully you or entice you or cause you to fall, but it's in you, you see, you're the problem. And from Adam forward, this is the way it's been for every child born on this earth. It's the way it is, and it pains me to say it, but it's the way it is with my children. It's the same with your own children. Uh, Isn't this what David says in the Psalms, that he was sinful from his mother's womb? That's way before Bathsheba. That's way before any moment of weakness in his life. Because within our flesh, we each have this condition. It's the deadliest of all conditions, because this one, it does not rest till it's consumed its host. But in our deadness, we don't know. Now, with that said, and with the backdrop to all this being the words of Paul in verse 1, that we are, in fact, dead in our sins and spiritual aliens from God because of our sins, let me now remind you of the things you now really need to remember. This is way more important than anything in your life right now or anything that's coming in the days to come. Verse 11, here they are. Look at your Bibles Number one, remember, for instance, says Paul, you're a Gentile. Isn't that what he says? It might not seem like a big deal to us, but Paul says, hey, remember this in your lives. You are not in the Jewish nation. You are not at the core of what God was doing at this time in the world. You are not born as part of God's chosen race. But because of your sin, you see, your sinful nature, you're apart from these things. And then number two, remember you're living without Jesus. Verse 12. Reflect on this. I want you to sit down, he says, turn everything off, and remember that because of sin in your life, which has deadened you towards God, you don't know Jesus. Jesus. You don't care about Jesus. You don't love Jesus. You don't live for Jesus. But you are separate from Jesus. You're cut off from Jesus and an enemy of him in your life. And then number three, next step down. Remember, he says, you're distant from the people of God. Or as Paul puts it in verse 12, you were excluded from citizenship In Israel, and you bring this Old Testament picture right up to the present day, and you find here you are, you're being urged to remember you're a Gentile by birth and living in the present without Jesus, and also you're utterly disconnected from people who are living for Jesus in the here and now. This is your condition. Your Christian friends might be sharing life with one another, And knowing God, and living as believers under his rule, but here you are remaining cut off from these things, and you know nothing of fellowship. You know nothing of oneness. You don't know what it means to be part of a family in a city that could love you as their own. And then number four, don't be forgetting, he says, about the covenants of the promise. Do you see that just at the tail end of verse 12? All these pledges made by God, all these vows made by God, these promises made by God to love us and to lead us and to care for us, to provide for us, convict us, restore us, to never leave us or forsake us. Every unbeliever, because of sin, is a stranger to these things. And living is a foreigner to these things, and especially, he says, to the one promise. Do you see that? This is a singular promise, he says, verse 12. It's the Lord Jesus. And because of that, he says, number five, I want you to remember that of all people in this world, you've got no hope. as your future comes. And let's say it because we all think about it as our death comes. There is nothing, he says, that I can give a man or a woman defined in these terms that will cushion the experience of what's coming for them on that day. Now let's pause for a second, can we? And let me turn to some of us who are believers and let me ask... As I have done so with myself, are you in danger of moving on from these things Uh, and forgetting about these things and the greatness of grace in your life, in this church? Uh, No matter who you are, no matter what background, You have, no matter how clean you feel, you have been. Paul says, please turn off all distracting influences. Turn your iPod off, turn your television off, and although you are busy and stretched and overworked and parenting or whatever it is, remember. This is your task. Reflect this is who you are. And then secondly, as you'll now see, not only remember who you are, but remember, verse 13, who it is you can quickly become. This is the gospel. Reflect on this, he says. You've got to give time to this. See the the contrast and the change that can take place in life. Verse 13, but now, you see, this is how things are without God, and you should not forget about these things or overlook these things, but this is how it can become. This is the difference that comes when you are in Jesus A Gentile, a man without Jesus, a man without Jesus' people, or Jesus' promises, or hope, or God. But now, he writes, there is another variable. There is an answer to the human condition. But now, in Jesus. And that's the answer. You who were once far away have been brought near, or brought close, through the blood of Christ. People who had walked away and had fallen away and had spurned intimacy with our Maker and had said, Don't even want to see him? Get Jesus out of the way. Here we are being one and and being pursued, being drawn, being rescued by Jesus coming and by Him drawing near and by Him shedding His blood. Isn't this what Jesus, isn't this what Paul says? Verse 13, that it's his death that brings us near. It's his payment on our part that brings us near. It gains us access. It, it draws us close. Matthew puts it this way in chapter 27 of his gospel. He says, From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came over the whole land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloy, Eloi, lama which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, and, quote, at that moment, that's the moment of death, and the moment of atonement, and the absorption of the Father's wrath, at that moment, the curtain in the temple which used to keep all sinners away, it is torn in two from top to bottom so that Gentiles can come and even hopeless people might come and all those who weren't even a part of the people of God. They might draw near Fill assurance of faith, come close as in Eden again and enjoy closeness with the Father. See, Jesus, he is the one who forges a union between man and God. That's his task. He is the one who hangs as an offering. He suspends himself up and on the cross that there might be peace that is real, peace that lasts between you and your Maker. And then, as you'll also see in verse 14... Jesus is the one who forges a union between men and other men. Do you see that in the text? This is something else to be remembered about our lives in the here and now, and something which perhaps you need to learn more of here as a community of saved people and redeemed people in this place. Jesus, by his death, unites God and man. And that's the best news in the whole world. And because of that, we're told, verse 14, he unites men and men. Isn't that right? A tearing down of of fences, a removing of all barriers and walls, a dealing with hatred and discord and division as the self-righteous and the hardened and the violent, and the gossipers, and the bitter, they are all humbled by the gospel. And they all know they are as bad as each other, that they need the gospel. And so Jesus takes us and so changes us that we love at a deep level the ones that we really used to hate. He is our peace. And so just to digress, just for a minute... Can I say to all of us, if the gospel, I think this is true, is to be seen in all its beauty and appreciated by the world as the great message of hope for all men and women, no matter who they are and no matter what they have done, then what they must see in a church is peace that is real, resting on its people. Isn't that right? That God has done something that is profound. God has brought harmony and affection and oneness to these people. And so any long-standing family dispute or any lingering stale air between you and another in the family of Jesus, don't care who started it, don't care what started it, it's wrong. It needs to be resolved. You're sullying the gospel. You are weakening Ephesians 2, 15. It's repugnant to Jesus because he's all about peace and ending hostility, especially when it comes to his church. And so you see, though some are young and others are old and some over here have this kind of emphasis and others over here, they have this kind of emphasis and and others are, are Irish and we have the Scottish even the Welsh, brother, even the Welsh, that in Jesus these, these barriers between Jews and Gentiles even, they, they come down. And in Him, verse 15, he, he creates one man out of the two, thus making peace. This is His work. It's such a precious work dealing with the sinful nature dealing with hostility between you and the one that made you ending the conflict between you and your fellow man note what he says as we end in verse 15 jesus abolishes in his flesh the law with all its commandments and regulations isn't that wonderful i praise the lord for that verse that though acceptance was once through rules and through rituals, and through washing, and circumcision, and was for the Jews only, Jesus ends this. Jesus fulfills this. He eclipses this, and he becomes in himself the great leveler as all nations and all peoples come through him as the only route to the Father. Paul is saying, I think in a man-to-man kind of way, have you forgotten these things? Are you neglecting these things? Having become so bogged down in the present and having become so consumed and preoccupied with the kids and the grandchildren and the garden or the office project or your girlfriend or your course or your monies or even the church, that you have lost sight of Jesus and His cross and his ability through that cross to raise you up from deadness to sin and unite you to himself and to other believers in the here and now so that for all time you might praise his name. Lord, we praise you tonight as the one who creates life out of nothing. You did this in Genesis as we heard earlier Uh, Lord, you did it for me 26 years ago. Uh, And we are hungry for you to raise up many other dead lives from our families and in this city, on the fringes of this church, so that they might exalt the name of Jesus and spend their lives making him known. Do your work, O God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.